Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by Vantage Point. I'm Justin Nielsen, your host. It is February 9th, 2022. It's a Wednesday. And joining me as always is Arusha Pires. He's a portfolio manager at O'Neill Global Advisors. Thank you for being here again, Arusha, as you do every week. Yeah, it's great to be here, Justin. And also, as our special guest this week, we have Mark Newton. He's a CMT and a managing director and global head of technical strategy at Fundstrat Global Advisors. So uh, welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you, Justin. It's going to be great to have you. We're, uh, of course, we're going to talk about the market in the first segment. We're going to get Mark's take. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the IBD uh, method and you know the follow-through day that we had before and where we're at now, but also get Mark's take on uh, some of the equal-weighted measures that he looks at. And also, in the second segment, we're going to talk a lot about risk management and how you cut through the noise and focus on what's really important. And then, of course, in our third segment, we'll be talking about some stocks, uh, especially getting into Mark's head a little bit and see what's on his radar. So let's get right to it and uh, talk about the NASDAQ composite. A really strong day today, up over 2%. And, you know, we had that follow-through day on January 31st, um, and now we're seeing uh, what we call subsequent follow-through days. That's where you get the the price threshold. You're meeting that price threshold of a follow-through day. You're getting the volume that's heavier than the day before. Now, yesterday we got a subsequent follow-through day, but it was lower than the follow-through day, so that's a little weird. But now today, it's kind of like we're breaking above that uh, little little kind of consolidation that we had for a few days. So, Mark, what, what's your take? Are we out of the woods uh, at this point, or is there still reason to be cautious? Well, thank you. I think, you know, it's important to differentiate between the short term and the intermediate term. Yeah. In the short term, I, I do agree that, uh, you know, we are seeing a little bit of a broadening out in the rally, uh, very constructive price action out of groups like discretionary today, uh, industrials, materials, and even healthcare. Uh, th those, that's a good sign. I mean, these are obviously very uh, big sectors within the S&P, and it means a lot when they move up. Um, you know, look, there were some reasons why markets bottomed when they did in late January, and we can discuss that if you like. And, you know, bear sentiment, obviously, momentum and breadth got very contracted at the time. Uh, a lot of the cycles started to bottom out in January. And so I think we're in a little bit of a follow-through process now and bottoming and turning up. Uh, I think it's going to be a choppy ride. I'm not certain that we're going to get back to new highs right away. Uh, more constructive really between now and the middle part of February in the short term and really between now and mid-March uh, before I see the market likely stalling out and turning lower uh, in between March and specifically the month of July. Mm -hmm. So, Mark, yeah, let's get into some of those indicators that you were looking at when uh, that we're, we're giving a little bit of an indication that the market could be bottoming here? What, what were some of the sentiment indicators that, that you, you saw? Well, I take a look at things like equity, put the call, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, that's an important thing. We did see a pretty violent spike in that uh, towards uh, during that final week in January. Um, traditional sentiment polls, I, I look at things like AII or, mm -hmm. you know, DSI, things of that sort, I always find important. Um, bull bear index, you know, I typically I'd, I'd love to see signs of the trend being over two to see a real washout and capitulation. And I don't know that we ever did see that, but um, you know, I look at a combination of things. And so sentiment is simply one piece of the puzzle. Okay, uh, right. We've been bearish for a while, but we did start to see some increased levels of bearishness during that time frame. 
Um, so that was simply one thing. Another, you know, I look at the mark indicators. I think that was also important. And I mentioned some of the cycles that I look at uh, bottomed out during that time. And, uh, you know, the combination of those made it seem like we were at a de decent risk reward to potentially put in a bottom and, uh, and start to bounce. Mm -hmm. And and were you seeing that both in the, the NASDAQ and the S&P, those, so for instance, like the DeMarc indicators, were you seeing like the 13th count start hitting on, on both the S&P and the NASDAQ? You know, it's really just a short-term basis that, okay. that the indicators appeared. So a lot of the weekly and the monthly basis, we didn't get anywhere near those appearing because it's obviously yeah. not a, a long-term low. It's just more of a trading low. So I look at things on really a number of different time frames, be it hourly, two-hour, four-hour, and when those start to line up, along with things like daily TD buy setups, uh, oftentimes those can be important and at least triggering, you know, a short-term low. And so that's you know, also another important pro part of the process and utilizing that along with sentiment uh, and just wave structure also and really measuring the degree of which, uh, you know, the pullback uh, was equivalent to really the first move down that we saw. And, and so that, in my view, was very important in thinking that this might be a, either a three wave move from January the 3rd when we peaked out uh, and, and it gives the market a chance to, to bottom out near a time when that should happen in price and time. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, just kind of talking a little bit more about that idea of capitulation that you were talking about. Of course, you know, you're looking at all of this uh, bearish sentiment and as a contrarian indicator, it's you, you, you kind of want to see more bearishness, you know, that the, the blood is in the streets, as, as they say. But uh, specifically January 24th, I mean, the, the reversal on that day was was pretty severe. I mean, the, the Nasdaq was you know down almost 5% um, at its lows on that day after really kind of a, a pretty steady pummeling. Uh, what what more were you looking for in terms of capitulation? Uh, just more of a decrease, more uh, more stocks getting hit, or what What, what exactly were you looking I mean, for? Normally in my work, I, I love to see, you know, fewer stocks hitting new low territory. I think that's also very important to see. Uh, you know, one day reversal can be important. The, the range mm -hmm. of that day was, was, was <laughs> extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. And so, you know, seeing like this so-called candlestick hammer pattern uh, develop after, you know, what, probably eight out of the last nine trading days being down. Yes, that is important. But as with everything, I mean, the degree of the, the, the decline had been so severe in such a short period of time that oftentimes the first move off the lows, you almost always expect that, you know, we could see a retest and it wouldn't lead uh, immediately that much higher before we see. Uh, and so that's that's all important, you know, looking at, you know, what happens during that retest and, and, and are there fewer stocks making new lows? You know, what's the volume like? Um, it, it, it's all, you know, a large process. There's not any one thing, as you know, that's important to happen. But when you look at sentiment, when you look at breadth, when you look at, uh, you know, momentum and, and really what's participating in that move off the of lows and technology. To its credit, uh, honestly, it sort of held where it needed to in, in late um, in late January. And so I look at things like the equal weighted uh, technology ETF, which is by Invesco. And so I look at ratios of that versus the equal weighted S&P. Uh, so a combination of those often, you know, at that time we had gotten down to really make or break levels. And so that was key in my 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 thinking that, OK, markets could be putting in at least a, a near term low. Well, let's maybe uh, pull up that chart real quick and just kind of 
walk us through your thinking here. So what is it that you're getting out of the equal weighting? And, and uh, maybe just walk us through this chart and what it is that you're looking for, what it's showing you right now. Sure. I mean, I think that, you know, for the first time in almost 50 years, we see about 25% of, uh, you know, all the indices being made up of, of five stocks. And I think, right. you know, it, it's really an extraordinary time. And people say, well, that means the market's, you know, due to, to, to crash. And I say, well, no, it's not necessarily a new normal that if you study history, you know, in 1930, AT&T was the number one holding along with the generals, General Motors, General Electric, and they stayed that way for almost 60 years. Wow. So it's really an old normal, not a new normal. And the fact that, yes, we all have to account now for the fact that you have a small number of stocks that are making up a big percentage of the S&P and the NASDAQ and many of the different ETFs. And so, you know, many times over the last year, many of us have looked at the market when, uh, you know, the market's down, but yet, you know, many of the sectors were up. And so yeah. a lot of that is just the influence of these key technology stocks. So, you know, so bottom line is this this index started to turn back higher, this ratio right around the time of the, the previous U.S. election in November of, of 2016. And it's been going up uh, ever since. And it's been choppy in the last year. But as you see, it really bottomed out uh, in May of last year. And that's when technology really started to move up aggressively. And, and but, uh, you know, that that red uptrend line has not been violated. And that still shows that. Uh, you know, technology is an overweight. And, and so when I see evidence of that start to give way in a, in a bigger fashion, then it really will be a time to say, okay, growth is going to have a more material drawdown given that technology, you know, is 28% of the S&P. Mm -hmm. And so just so people are clear, I mean, if you want to do this at home, uh, you're talking about the Invesco S&P 500 equal weighting. The ticker symbol on that is RYT for the tech. And then for the S&P 500, do you use RSP, I assume? That is correct. Yeah. yeah. So okay. So the Invesco equal weighted ETFs will allow you to do these ratios and, and mm -hmm. study some of the movement, um, you know, on the sectors. Okay, great. Okay, Mark, I think uh, probably to end this segment, let's go into a little bit of your background. You've been doing this for a long time now. Yeah. Just walk us through how you got into this, because I think we probably we both probably both got interested in this in, in the yeah. Well, at least I was getting interested in in two thousands, but back then there weren't a lot of people interested in technical analysis, and and it was just kind of this on this periphery. How did you end up getting into the technical analysis world? Yeah, I've always loved the way uh, that markets move and realizing that it's not just about, you know, earnings or Fed speak that, that causes stocks to go up and down. And so I, it was all a source of fascination. But really in the, the early 90s, when I got out of college, uh, you know, I worked at a small mutual fund called the Calvert Group, which is a socially responsible mutual fund. And one of the portfolio managers for one of the funds was Seth Moses, and he was a disciple of William O'Neill. And, mm -hmm. you know, I really started to read, uh, you know, a lot of the different books uh, at that time and, and, and how to make money in the stock market and, and you know, ingrained myself in the canceling methodology. And, and so it, it, it started from there. You know, I, I started out as more of a momentum based uh, trader, uh, investor looking for stocks that are breaking out the new daily, weekly, monthly highs. And then, um, you know, I, I did a stint out at the CBOE and traded equity options as a market maker. Uh, you know, in the late 90s. And so I, I was able to make use of technical analysis there. Uh, but really fine-tuned my process and incorporated a lot more Elliott Wave, a little more GAN, a little more ways of looking at time and in, in the work. And then, you know, sentiment, I feel, is probably the most important thing that investors need to pay attention to uh, in finding extremes in sentiment. Mm -hmm. uh, but it all was part of a general methodology. But I, I traded equity options out in Chicago for 
about six years in the late 90s, I, I moved to the New York City area in 2004 and, and started work uh, at Morgan Stanley uh, and, and ended up running their technical department back in 2006 to 2007. And then I worked at a, the hedge fund for a while, uh, Diamondback Capital Management. And then I, I started my own gig in 2016 as a way to provide technicals to investors and institutions. And then fortunately, you know, I, I've had the, you know, the fortune of just uh, accepting a job with, with Tom Lee and John Bay. And so being able to work with Fundstrat, uh, you know, it was a dream of mine. And so it's, it's wonderful to be able to have, you know, a larger platform to be able to broadcast and, and, and you know, tell what I'm seeing to the world and educate people and, and, and uh, you know, just use technical analysis. I think it's great. Mm -hmm. Well, we're definitely happy to have you. And uh, when we come back from the break, uh, we will talk a little bit more about uh, some of these indicators that you're looking at. You know, when is too many, when, when are the indicators too many uh, to, to deal with? You know, how to cut through some of that noise um, and also a little bit more about the risk management side of things. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Why trade off hope and optimism when you can trade using the world's most powerful indicator? Artificial intelligence has been used by traders to navigate the markets for the past three decades. Visit freestockcoaching.com to see the world-leading AI forecasting software for yourself. Trusted by more than 32,000 traders, AI uses millions of data points to track market trends, giving you the support you need right now. Go to freestockcoaching.com and we'll help you find great opportunities today. Our experts will show you what stocks are setting up for big changes right now. So head over to freestockcoaching.com for a free demo. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. Okay, welcome back everyone to Investing with IBD, sponsored by Vantage Point. It's Justin Nielsen here, your host, along with my weekly guest, Arusha Pires from O'Neill Global Advisors, and our special guest this week, Mark Newton from Fundstrat Global Advisors. So, uh, Mark, uh, one of the things that you were, you know, kind of alluding to uh, is this whole idea of different time frames. You kept on referring to, you know, maybe on the short term, you're thinking one thing, um, you know, long term, are you thinking something else? Maybe, maybe discuss how you might have a little bit of a different view depending on uh, what what time frame you're looking at? Yeah, no, Justin. I think that's an incredibly important point. I think that, that people, uh, you know, it, it's good to really, honestly, analyze not only daily charts but weekly and monthly, and realize that although some people say that you know momentum got oversold in, in January, that when you look at monthly momentum indicators, we're barely just creeping down from overbought levels, and so mm -hmm. it's really not that oversold. And so, you know, short term, there are reasons to be, you know, take a counter trend stand and, and consider buying the dip, but. You know, we have done a lot of damage and, and, and just, you know, literally within the last uh, six to eight months, I would argue, you know, but really since November, we saw a lot of indices peak out at a time when technology was still going up and start to roll over. So that that's caused, you know, right now we have less than really 50 percent of all S&P issues that are above their 50 day moving averages. And, you know, we, we have seen a nice little snapback in the S&P in the last uh, few weeks. But. You know, the broader damage is something that I think is going to be increasingly important this year. And so when you look at cycles such as, you know, the midterm election cycle tends to be one of the weaker of the four years. And the fact that January was down, uh, the combination of those likely means that this year could be a lot flatter than what people suggest. And so my own analysis um, during my outlook that I gave a few weeks ago on 2022 suggested that we should be in a sort of a V-shaped type uh, pattern for this year where the first six months could be challenging and then we could start to rebound in the latter half of the year. So 
you know, weekly momentum right now is still negative. I have a problem with that. And long-term breath term, long-term breath issues uh, are, are still very much uh, a problem for the market. And, uh, you know, many of the cycles that I look at turn down pretty sharply from March into June, July period. So I think Q2, specifically after the Fed meeting, uh, you know, that, that could be really a catalyst for not only interest rates starting to roll over again, but, but maybe stock indices starting to, to fall. So while I'm, I'm more short-term bullish, I think that between now and, and July, you know, I'm a little bit more uh, skeptical of the market's ability to immediately rally back to new highs and everything should be fine. And I think we just we have a lot of, uh, you know, wood to chop in terms of the market being able to recover yeah. uh, based on the damage that we've seen. Yeah. And, and Mark, now, one of the lessons I think we all learn when you start trading the markets and trying to really analyze them is trying to balance between overconfidence or and gathering you know trying to absorb too much information or how you balance that information now how how do you handle that and what have you learned between that kind of balance of you don't want to be too too overconfident on any kind of uh thesis and be open-minded enough to take in the information that the market's actually telling you yeah it's a great point because once we any of us get too ingrained in our thinking of this has to happen or needs to happen then when something goes the other way you know, many of us experience this, this cognitive dissonance where we just ignore it. You know, yes, we're like, yes. we all think the market's going <laughs> that down. doesn't fit with my like, worldview. <laughs> it's like all of a sudden if it goes up, then we're like, well, that can't be possible. And mm-hmm. in the media, uh, to some extent, uh, you know, influences all of us and really, you know, positively and negatively. And so it's important to be as much of a machine, I think, as you can and non-emotional and saying, you know what, I'm relying on maybe several different factors, sentiment being one, seasonality, uh, momentum, breadth, uh, leadership, you know, overall structure of the market, and, and really not try to allow anything else to come into that framework that would influence you. And, and so we're all guilty of, you know, allowing the media to, I think, affect us. And when the market goes up, we say, oh, it was because of uh, the Fed. And then when the, when the market goes down, it's, you know, nothing has changed. We just change our opinion as to, oh, this was important on this day or it wasn't on this day. And it's like, well, wait a minute, it can't be both. So which is it? And if it's, right. you know, so if anything, we need to really eliminate that that bias and learn to really understand each of us internally, you know, psychologically in terms of what kind of a, a trader are we? How successful are we in managing our different time frames? be it some of us are better suited at, at day trading, others are more swing traders, some of us are long term. And really uh discover where you know we're comfortable in our own skin and how to approach the market mm-hmm. so you know one other aspect of this uh, it's it sounds like you have a lot of different indicators you're looking at i mean you've already right. talked about sentiment you've talked about all of these different things right. um what happens when you sometimes get different signals you know wh- one of your indicators is saying oh this is bullish one of your indicators is saying this is bearish how do you make a decision based on conflicting conflicting signals sometimes yeah the bottom line is that, that price rules you know and, and so that's always the thing that i am really putting above everything else and, and i don't care if sentiment is uh you know bullish if price is moving up then i'm going to respect that and so until it's proven wrong and so i i guess i do weight them a little bit differently i don't weight them equally where i throw something out uh it's a great question. I think it all it's different, you know, in different scenarios. And, and you just sort of have to 
the probability of the evidence suggests you ought to take a stand. Well, I will when price proves that out and, and shows me if I'm calling for a reversal, I usually won't until price gives me that confirmation. Mm-hmm. And you also addressed already, you know, sometimes what you're looking at isn't isn't kind of the day to day. It's more, hey, am I at the extremes? You know, right. because that's where, you know, that, that's where the turns can come a lot. of look, times. A lot of investors, they look at daily charts and they say something's breaking out. And I say, well, that's wonderful. But if you look at a weekly or monthly chart, it might not. It might be right. part of a larger consolidation pattern and it might not be all that bullish. So it's really, really important. And I learned this from day one to look as far back as possible and get as much data on a stock chart that really will give me, you know, the message. And then I'll really go more and more, you know, short term in nature and look at weekly charts and, and daily. And, you know, if I want to make a decision for the next couple of days and I'll look at more hourly charts and look at Elliott wave structure and have that be a guide for, for how I'm looking at things. It's all based on the time frame at which any of us are trying to make decisions and, and manage money and, and you know, risk tolerance is, is a big part of that, you know? Yeah. And going into that a little bit more with the risk management, did you generally try to look for stocks or ETFs or any instrument that's closer to a danger point, like right on near the support areas or more of a type of buy on strength near all time highs? Yeah, those are several different categories. Um, you know, recently I put out a piece that suggested that China could be bottoming and Chinese technology wow. in, in specific, in particular, and, and for a lot of reasons, but but based on longer term support, based on sentiment being very extremely negative, where many don't want to touch it with a 10 foot pole yeah, right. for a lot of the right reasons. But, but look, I think that, uh, you know, that's obviously a, a buy the dip on something that's been hugely washed out. But but normally my, my toolbox is that I, I want to find uh, and we'll discuss some of those stocks today, stocks that are that are breaking out of, you know, narrow bases that have been trading near or at all time highs that are just now starting to, to break out. And for me, those are the lower risk type situations to be long on like a four to six week basis, whereas something that's pulled back sharply on a short term basis, but is within a longer term uptrend where we can try to take a stab at buying dips. And that's that's a different type of of way to use technical analysis, as you know, to try to make an educated decision on, you know, adding to something that you like. You just want to hope that the stock will bottom and not start to show more and more weakness that might shake you out of that position. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, kind of staying with this risk management theme, uh, are you, what what kind of makes you decide, hey, I was wrong. My thesis was wrong on this. Um, I need to I need to cut my loss. Um, do, you, do you have loss cutting mechanisms? Do you have a percentage? Are you looking at different technical support levels that you're going through? Or, you know, hey, you know, something something turned with my thesis and I, I, I just can't ignore that. What What is it that you I, look I at do, the most? I do find that, that, you know, and that's part of what makes people successful is admitting you're wrong and changing your opinion. And, and it mm -hmm. might not be that it's changed forever. It just means that, you know, at the time it was a trade and it didn't work out and you have to revisit it. And so no matter how good the story is, uh, so I don't use a, a percentage per se, though I, I would typically say, you know, between five and 10%. Uh, but I, I oftentimes will use, you know, the structure to tell me that I'm wrong. If something breaks longer term trends that I was thinking might hold, or if it breaks a prior swing low. And I think that, you know, at my, my own Elliott Wave uh, knowledge will tell me that if a certain level is violated, then the whole structure is wrong and you really want to revisit that. And I think that is really an important 
uh, tool that, that many people should, uh, you know, could consider within their analysis is not just, well, it's down 5% so I'm out. I mean, you know, my, that might work, but I almost always use prior highs and lows and really try to create the most optimal, you know, risk reward picture, you know, not chasing breakouts necessarily or wait till it revisits that, that pivot before you buy. Um, it really depends on the circumstance. I, I'm not, I'm not really a one sort of tool type person, you know, it really depends on what I'm, I'm looking for. And what, what about like diversification where do you, do you spread it out enough that one, one thing can't really hurt you or are you going to be more concentrated and let the risk management kind of take you out when those things aren't really working? Yeah, I think that if, uh, you know, we start to be involved in, in a sector that's trending strongly and, and you know, for the record, I'm, I'm not a portfolio manager, but yes, I do, you know, trade and invest my own money. Uh, so, you know, most of what I do is try to help others make money by my analysis. But I think that, uh, you know, diversifying is obviously important uh, when when markets start to show evidence of rolling over, like what I think happened in November through January of, of this year. And so, you know, when, when weekly MACD is, is, is you know, trending south and, and markets, there's, there's a huge number of stocks that are now down greater than 20 percent, uh, you know, below their 50-week high. And really to stick with the sectors that are showing you the most strength, which right now is, is energy, you know, which is up 20 yeah. percent. And so, uh, you know, I can afford to have a little bit more concentration in sectors that are acting really well versus, uh, those that are uh, I'm trying to buy dips that have already weakened substantially and trying to position for a bounce. And so that's also part of the, uh, you know, the time frame management and the risk tolerance where I'd be a little bit less apt to put large positions in something that's already weakened substantially. Uh, and base building takes time and, and rallies. Yes. The more strength, you know, the, the more that I'm going to have conviction and I don't mind running money as a more of a momentum driven system where if something weakens substantially, then I, I get rid of it and I don't I don't look back. It doesn't matter. There's mm -hmm. always gonna be things that are hitting new high territory that I think are attractive. And as a final point, you know, diversifying amongst uh, you know outside of equities into things like cryptocurrencies or treasuries or commodities and and, and yes, those are part of uh, you know a long term uh, cycle of, of success where I think we all owe it to ourselves to be involved with these. But, you know, sometimes, you know, the patterns are, are so compelling that I might put a few more percent into something because right. I think it works really good. And it's, sure, it's, yeah. I, I can't, I can't think that I've had, that I have this down to a fine science where I know exactly how to manage portfolios for, for success. I have my own, you know, sometimes I've been successful when I've overweighted things and maybe taken a bit too much risk than I should have, but I, I also, I always use stops as ways to, 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 to get myself out of something that's not working. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, the, I mean, especially here with, uh, with IBD and the O'Neill system, stuff like that, when things are working, when everything's lining up, we'll, we'll definitely concentrate more. Right. But we really are depending on that kind of risk management being stopped out to get us out when things start to, to turn versus the, the diversifying and hoping that protects us. Because as you mentioned, Mark, everything will come down when things get really bad. <laughs> Look, let's be real. I mean, we, all of us have gone through a couple uh, nasty years of COVID yes. and, and many of us are dealing with, uh, you know, many different personality types, our own included, that might not be all that cheery on any given day or thinking clearly that we can get out of something and you might uh, find yourself 
uh, certain times of the year, you're trading better than others. And, and I believe that 100%. That sometimes yeah, it's not running well or making right decisions. And so it's up to you to understand your own, uh, you know, frame of mind in terms of when things are going well and why it's going well. And, and, yeah, I, I just wanted to, before we move on to the next segment and talk about some stocks, I just wanted to kind of address your philosophy on like maybe selling selling into strength or, you know, when is when is the move kind of, I, I, I've gotten the heart out of the watermelon on this one. Um, are you waiting for those those signs of extremes, you know, maybe extended above the moving averages? Or is there something else that you're looking at that kind of tells you, hey, I've, I've gotten, I, I've hit a price target or something for a stock that makes you say, I'm going to sell this one and move on to the next uh, next one? Yeah, that, that's all, I think, a question of risk tolerance and, and, and how we all manage risk. And, and, you know, I can kick myself because, you know, I don't own any Apple or Amazon here. And maybe I should. I sold them a long time ago and I've revisited them. But my own time frame is probably shorter than, than many who might buy and hold and have a different way of managing these stocks that have yeah. gone up. 20, 30, 100 times and now have started to churn a little bit sideways and maybe those aren't right to to hold through that. Other people say I bought them so much lower that it doesn't matter and they're great right. companies. And so each of us has different answers to how that they, they would manage that. I think as a trader, uh, you know, I, I look for a combination of a few things. One is negative divergence on several different time frames. And so that is important to me on a short term basis as well as a weekly basis. Uh, I look at the mark tools for getting out of certain things when things are extended as a counter trend tool to balance my own trend following tools. I think that's key. And if we're moving into a time that I think has cyclical importance for a, a broader market and if something starts to act a little strange, you know, oftentimes I just I depend on the price action. If price starts to not act well uh, and, and my patience runs out, then I'll, I'll get rid of it. And, and I can always revisit that. I don't mind, you know, missing the top, you know, and, yeah. and if, it, if it breaks out again, then I'll, I'll buy it again. And so, you know, my time frame might be shorter than, than others who might be listening. And so it's not fair for me to say, this is the way to do it. Uh, but, but look, I, I try to use stops. And if this, if a stock starts moving up nicely, then I'll, I'll raise stops to, mm -hmm. you know, near structural levels that I think are important and, and simply have, uh, you know, use the trading stops so I never get back, you know, a lot of what I've made. I always want to stay in the position if it's working. I don't want to get shaken out if it moves sideways for a little bit and then continues higher. Uh, but some of that also depends on the size of the position. And if it's too big, then I don't mind taking some off and, and putting wow. it in something else that's acting well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all good points. And uh, we'll get more into some of the sectors and the stocks that are on Mark's radar when we come back. So stay tuned for that. Do you want to conquer market volatility? We can help you protect your hard-earned capital. Visit www.freestockcoaching.com and find out how VantagePoint's AI technology can forecast stock market trends up to 72 hours in advance with incredible accuracy. VantagePoint's patented technology analyzes huge quantities of global data in seconds, so you can finally stop guessing what's going to happen next. Check out www.freestockcoaching.com and experience VantagePoint for free. Learn how successful traders generate their wealth. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. 
Okay, welcome back to Investing with IBD Podcast, sponsored by Vantage Point. It's Justin Nielsen here, along with Arusha Pires and our guest, Mark Newton. Uh, before we kind of get into some stocks, Mark, I just wanted to kind of ask, uh, if people are interested in kind of following some of your ideas here, you've, you've mentioned a number of things that you've written on some of these um, you know, these trends that you're seeing. Where, where can people kind of follow your ideas? What's the best place for them to kind of take a look at that? So since I joined Fundstrat back in September of uh, 2021 last year, uh, the majority of my analysis goes out to, to clients, both institutional and retail. But I, I still have a, a Twitter uh, following. You can follow me on Twitter at Mark Newton CMT uh, or join FS Insight. Uh, FSI is the, the retail arm of, of Fundstrat. And so I, I publish daily. I put out uh, you know, a five-minute video. Okay. And, uh, you know, in, in the works is going to be quite a lot with regards to cryptocurrencies and monthly reports and my own long short list and trading oh, ideas nice. and, and I, all that's going to be in the process, but I am a one man show. So it does take time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of good content for people to take a look at. So uh, speaking of which, let's go ahead and get into some stocks. Um, you know, one of the areas that certainly has started 2022 out the, the with a bang really has been energy, uh, oil and gas. seems like that's the groups that keep on popping up. A lot of the stocks, you know, it, you, you look at them and you say, what correction? Uh, they, they, they just look like they uh, didn't, didn't participate at all. They, they formed nice, short little bases and were already at highs. So um, what's, what's your take on energy right now? I mean, we have so many different things that are, you know, so many variables to look at, whether it's the price of the dollar, you've got the Russia-Ukraine situation. Um, you know, how, how do you make a decision on what time frame to look at on this on this play? Yeah, that's a great point. I think that you know I, I could make fundamental comments that, that you know I don't think they're ever going to be able to raise supply to the level that they need to combat demand. The demand still remains strong. The U.S. consumer is in great shape, but uh, you know you look at the performance of, of energy last year, which obviously outperformed sharply, but after a number of years back, it literally didn't. And so you know my own study and using relative charts like we've spoken about, and I look at the you know, energy breaking out in relative terms uh, when you mm -hmm. look at equal weighted energy. Uh, but January was a was a great month for energy. It's obviously, you know, huge sector dispersion and it's up over 20 percent for the month. I've done studies going back since 1945. And you see that when energy is the top three in terms of leaders for the month of January, that over half the time it's happened, I believe, 18 times since 1945, where energy is either first, second or third best performing. Eight of those 18, energy went on to actually finish in the top three for the year. So that was interesting to me. And also uh, the fact that we've had such technical strength, we just haven't seen any evidence of this really rolling over at all. And so this has just been so I, I, I uh, you know, look at things like XOP, which I think are interesting. And it's important, to, as we spoke about earlier, taking a very longer term look at at the chart and, and looking at the fact that while many might suspect energy is overbought and I don't disagree on the short term, long term, you know, we've literally just seen a, uh, you know, a break of a long term trend going back since 2014. And so that's mm -hmm. really interesting when just connecting highs from, you know, 2014 to the most recent high in 2018. And, and now we're clearly above that. And so this is really an interesting group for me. And this sort of mirrors uh, our own Fundstrat's Tom Lee, who has taken a a very long-term bullish view on energy for the next few years. So, you know, I like it technically. I, I think the way you trade it depends on your time frame. I, I think that 
crude likely is going to get up to 114 by the middle of next summer. That's when a lot of my crude cycles uh, move up into and then roll over. So, you know, it's going to be likely two steps forward, one step back. And, and I don't disagree that it might need to consolidate. And that happens probably between March and July of this year, which is when I think the broader market also could experience some weakness. But I think that, you know, dips are going to be used to buy and, and the group remains strong. And, and personally, I, I love seeing long term you know, breakouts of, of trend lines and just structural shifts that make things a little bit more positive. And for me, that's one of the most important things that I think investors can can look utilize. I mean, if they looked at stocks like Microsoft or Apple way back in the day, I, most of the stocks went sideways for a dozen years and then, you know, had yeah. not breakouts. And so these, these are things that, uh, you know, are very, very important when you see structural shifts that really make you almost ignore the short-term overbought situation only because, Structurally, when you get above a, a prior year high going back a dozen or 20 years, it's very important. Even if the overall nature of the business has changed, I still find that it works time and time again. That You see very, very good signs of strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and really going off of that kind of thought, even with the NASDAQ and the S&P, once they, they started it get into all-time highs, especially like the Nasdaq getting past that 5,000 level, the 5,100 level, right. uh, that was very significant, even though at, in real time, it, it didn't seem like it could be the case. 100%. And, and so it just, you know, to, our, to all our points, you know, it's good to have, um, you know, that kind of time frame concentration where you're looking at weekly and monthly charts as well as daily, and, and it, can, it can help to put some of these moves into perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and certainly uh, j- just to kind of go back to the XOP, you know, this is the the oil and gas, uh, the explorers and producers. Right. Um, and, and it doesn't show on this chart because uh, XOP started in 2000, 2006. But I mean, there was really a, a big move 2004 yeah. to 2000, you know, 2008, I feel like in energy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe XLE shows that. But you also were talking about the equal weighted. So is that. Um, is that well, RYE that you use uh, that's for that? No, yeah. Okay. I think that in general, if you're bullish on energy, you know, XOP will give you the most bang for your buck with regards okay. to alpha. You know, during defensive times like we saw in January, uh, where markets are volatile, XLE will tend to work a little bit better than XOP with the Exxon and, and Chevron exposure. and Very heavy, over 20% big, for both of those. Those big, big companies that are thought as, uh, you know, safety plays to some extent when, when markets really start to weaken, many gravitate towards those. So those outperform. And obviously the OIH is more of the Schlumberger and the Halliburton. And, you know, those have played catch up in a, in a big way lately. But but for me, if I'm a long term energy bull, you know, I love the exploration and production area and many stocks like Apache, for example, was, you know, literally just started to climb off the lows. And as a stock, I think plays catch up, you know, many would gravitate to look at EOG, which has been strong, but Apache peaked out a number of years ago and is still, you know, has not really even climbed, you know, I think it's about 50 percent of what it's all time highs. And it's just it's still in a very sharp period of acceleration. So lots to choose from in that group. Okay, so let's let's kind of shift gears into maybe the healthcare sector, because this is another area where it seems like there's um, some of these some of these stocks have been consolidating for a while and are are now kind of getting getting some new renewed energy into them. Uh, yeah, I, I agree 100%. Healthcare is a group, you know, it is very important with regards to the S&P. It's the second largest uh, weighted sector um, you know, by percentage terms. And so healthcare, 
you know, it's important to do a little su subsector digging because mm -hmm. uh, parts of healthcare like biotech have really fallen on hard times and they've been going down for uh, a year as of now, actually. They, they peaked out right around this time in February and have been, uh, unfortunately, uh, not the best place to be. But other groups like pharmaceuticals uh, have been phenomenal. And they really, and that speaks to sort of the defensive tone, I think, of the market of the last six to eight months and really a sort of sideways, choppy market, and particularly in, in, in January. But you look at stocks like Pfizer, for example, and, and breaking out of longer-term bases going back since 1999, uh, an extraordinary long-term breakout in, in the yeah. stock. And, and many people have written the stock off, I, I think. You know, you speak to them about Pfizer, even though they're, they're having such huge success this year with the, with the vaccines, saying, well, that's just, that's a has-been, and, you know, it's not going to make me any money. But it, it's, you know, this is a pretty exciting move, in my view, in looking at, you know, just the DRG or uh, looking at, you know, many different stocks, uh, AbbVie, ABBV, or Eli Lilly, or Bristol Myers, or even Merck, and, and Merck is one that's lagged a little bit. Pfizer, if you look at it on a monthly basis, and hasn't really made the breakout yet. But I, I think that's forthcoming that that should happen. Uh, but Pfizer is a clear leader, and, and if anything, the short-term pullback in the last month has has given you know many that are intermediate-term investors you know a, a good time to to really buy dips. In my view, you know you've seen the big breakout and the acceleration which happened in in December for the DRG making new all-time highs. And now you've seen a little bit of a weakness that I think should be a buying opportunity. Yeah, Pfizer's breaking out of essentially, I guess, a 22-year <laughs> right. base, which is remarkable. I mean, it's, it's kind of like this monster cup with handle yeah. or a saucer with handle. Yeah. Uh, and going back to some of those other long-term charts that we're looking at, like the NASDAQ and stuff like that, it, this is pretty significant. It, there was some big volume from a few months ago coming into it as it got above those resistance levels. And so it's going to be really interesting to see what Pfizer does in the future. I, I do own Pfizer and, and this is a you know long term uh, hold for me. I, I love the stock on an immediate term basis. And, uh, you know, I, I, I this is, you know, in, in this case, if it were to pull back more, I would just keep buying more. It, it's yeah. one of those things that I put myself in the mindset of a long-term investor when i see long-term breakouts like this uh, you know it makes me uh you know excited to, to be able to invest in a great company like this and i think it's going to show better returns you know hopefully in the years to come than it has and you know sometimes with these stocks one of the one of the challenges is especially if you're looking at the short term uh news items of course whether it's fda approvals or you know how clinical trials are going you know what have you so um you know, when, when you're dealing with something, of course, you know, a lot of the stocks that you're talking about have such a broad pipeline. One one drug isn't necessarily going to make or break them. Um, but how, how do you deal with that kind of volatility that can come in on the short term? Uh, well, that, that just a lot of it depends on what basket you choose to put the stock into in terms of the time frame. And, and for me, it's a long term basket. So I don't really pay attention to a lot of the news. And, and, mm -hmm. and I, I usually you know, try not to unless it, uh, you know, it really shakes me out of, of, of stocks that really start to violate trend line. You know, if this were to really start to break down substantially, I would have to pay attention to that. But but for me, uh, you know, that, that's a short term problem, right? I think. And that's for those that are short term in nature, when you see that, you know, deterioration, then, then you know, you avoid it, you get rid of it. But but for me, I, you know, I'm buying it for, for different reasons. This is a long term uh, buying for me. So. And it kind of, again, speaks to how 
you can you can treat some things in the, in that short term basket and other things in the long term basket, and the rules are kind of very different. For, for, 100%. That's yeah. correct. Um, so maybe we can also take a look. Um, you know, industrials were certainly one of the areas of strength today, and I know that um, you know you you mentioned when we were kind of talking in our, our pre show, uh, deer. Uh, was one of those that was on your radar. This is something that we put on Swing Trader. Again, kind of looking at this as a short-term play. Um, but you know, what's 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 your take on this? Is it's really kind of a a longer base uh, since since March of last year, so almost a year long. Um, is this more of a short-term or long-term move? Do you think here? Uh, for me, it is a likely a four to six week move. Uh, but but in general, I, I love finding. You know stocks that, that have multi-year run-ups and then go sideways for a number of years like deer has really since in the last couple of years it's really done nothing and all of a sudden now you you have a shallow base it's within you know really the, the top quartile of a stock's overall range and it moves sideways and then you see that breakout and it happens on a very good volume and so uh you know a few days ago i i noticed that the stock has made an above average gain on on good volume and, and clued me in that you know, maybe this is the time that it breaks out and, and it just happened to be, you know, it, we're sort of lucky that it, it literally just happened. And so the stock is, has broken out and it looks very, very good to me. So, um, you know, it, it's something where I like to be long still and, and buy dips. And but the, the, the longer term structure is great in it. So I don't know why, uh, you know, anybody would would uh, avoid it, but that's all risk tolerance and, and time frame. Yeah, and I have to say, I was so surprised at the 2020 move. Uh, you know, yeah. it, it, it just did not look like deer anymore, right. that phenomenal move that it had. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and, and if you look at it, like, on, on that monthly chart, with using the 2020 run, you, you almost have, like, almost maybe a little bit too long to be call it a flag, but uh, it's a strong move up, consolidating for a year, and starts to emerge out of that. It could continue kind of that previous strong move up. Yeah, my own my own you know study of, of how some of these machinery stocks move. A lot of these are tied into the move in the U.S. dollar also, and mm -hmm. the dollar declined substantially. I mean, you know, companies like Deer and Caterpillar that have a large percentage of their revenues come overseas, and, yeah. and I'm by no stretch a, a fundamental <laughs> analyst. Uh, I got to the level two of the CFA, and I, I found out what I was doing wrong. I was highlighting with a black magic marker, and I had to. Get that up for, for 10 months, you know, and then move on. So, look, I, my own view is that the dollar is going to roll over uh, this spring and uh, should start to, 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 to move lower. And so if that happens, uh, we'll see. But but that would be sort of a, a, a tailwind for, for some of the industrial group that's really lagged so badly. And, and for stocks like Deer, that should be a positive. Well, and maybe that kind of leads us into maybe a final point of kind of taking a look at the the bond market. You were talking about some of your projections on rates. Um, of course, you know a lot of eyes are on the Fed. How many rate hikes are we going to get, and what kind of pressure that's been putting on the ten-year Treasury yield lately? So, what's what's your overall take on the bond market? Uh, short term, I'm I'm negative on Treasuries. I think yields likely creep up to to two point one to two point three percent between now and the middle part of March. And then, uh, you know, I, I think th there's two reasons why I think yields peak. Technically, uh, one is based on just longer term trend lines from going back 30 years that show that to be a pretty meaningful area of resistance for TNX. And also a lot of my cycles, uh, I have a composite that I, I look at that, that shows treasury yields starting to roll over pretty sharply between March and September of this year. So I think that, um, which which means, unfortunately, that, that the Fed might make 
uh, the wrong move and potentially hike either more aggressively. Uh, you know, that's not my uh, area of expertise, but I, I think something could happen which could affect uh, growth in the economy in an economic weakness where either a stock market decline or evidence of, of the economy weakening substantially where we start to see yields really roll over. But short term, I, I think the move in both uh, TYX, TNX, I, I think it's uh, going to go higher, yields go higher, you know, from a price perspective, treasuries go lower. And so how you play that depends on your, uh, you know, your, your, your time frame. But I, I think over the next four weeks, I think, uh, you know, being long TBT or, or different gauges of how you play treasuries through ETFs uh, likely is going to work. And then I think it's going to be right to reverse that and, and, and be long treasuries uh, into what I feel is going to be a volatile time for risk assets you know, between specifically between April and, and July. Mm-hmm. Um, and j- just kind of a, a final point on that, because you were mentioning some of the cyclical studies that you've done. Yeah. Um, I guess one of the things that a lot of people are kind of bringing up is this time different. You know, we have, uh, you know, quantitative easing, which we just don't have a lot of precedent for how much money was injected uh, in, in, into the into the economy here. So does that kind of factor in like, oh, you know, can I use this historical precedent in this case? Well, uh, or is it kind of like, hey, these things just repeat, you know, it's different, I think, different I catalysts. Think everybody always says it's different this time. And, and, and any of us that have used technical analysis for any period of time will always tell you, you know, it, it's never different. I mean, yeah. but charts matter. Price patterns are certainly important. And so it's anybody's guess as to how many hikes the Fed is going to do this year or whether that's going to be, you know, doing too much or too little. It's clear from what all of us are hearing in the media every day that the Fed seems to be behind the curve and, and there's no easy path out of this. And so, um, you know, I, I think that we're still in a, in a low environment for, for yields and, and we'll see if it's going to be any sort of meaningful downward pressure in the stock market uh, this year, which would coincide with a lot of what we've been talking about midterm cycles and a poor January, then, uh, then it's tough for me to see yields. Uh, it's tough for me to see both stocks and treasuries uh, correlating perfectly where both are going to go down, you know, I, I, meaning yields go up as stocks go down substantially. I think there will be some flight to safety and, and we'll see people adding duration and, and getting back into treasuries uh, into the spring. Mm-hmm. Well, Mark, uh, really appreciate you coming on the show, sharing your thoughts, uh, a lot to kind of digest from this one. And again, as a reminder for people, you can always follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Newton CMT. And on the show next week, we're going to have John Kosar returning to the show from Asbury Research. He's another CMT, and he's got a correction protection model that he's shared with us before. So he'll give us an update on that and where he sees the money flowing into the different sectors. So stay tuned for that. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for watching Investors Business Daily on YouTube. If you want to watch more videos, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a thing.